Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. It's your man, DJ, and I'm Mike Hype once again. Back at you. And we have a great show for you today. I want to tell you if we had a music, no, let me say, if we had a news outlet, this man would be Walter Concrete. Okay? It, he would be the Ron Burgundy. You know what I'm saying? This man right here is the premier voice and the face of a street funk TV show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Excitement. What an introduction. Welcome to the show, sir. Straight gassing me from the get go. <laughs> Lord. Y'all hear that, man? <laughs> yeah, so um, this has been a long time coming. Um, kind of saved the best for last. I got a couple more people that got to come through, but you, I've been trying to get a hold of for a minute. Um, I know you're busy. Over a year now. Over a year. Yeah. It's been a long time. The pandemic uh, threw us for a loop. The pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know what I'm saying? And um, even though we, we connect and we go and we go to the concerts and we go to the events and things like that, it's really hard to nail shit down and get, and get busy. So I want to... There's so much to talk about and there's so much to uh get into in reference to your career in media and music and just your whole like take on uh music as a as as a as a, as a um as an entertainment form and and how I, to me you always seem to be a natural so i'm going to bring it back to the beginning first of all i'm going to ask you what was it about uh, music that drew you to it and made and made you say, "I need to be a part of this," and and this is something I want to pursue, or or even be in the music media or uh, anything like that? What was it that sparked that interest in you? That's a real hard question to answer. I think you know that you know we all all of us grew up on music. I mean, you know, everybody had a radio player right in the house, a radio. If you was lucky, your parents had a you know a record player, uh-huh. or eight track, whatever it may be. Uh-huh. Um, because it was myself and my mom. Hold, hold that thought for a second. We got another call coming. Yes, and we are back. All right, Street Funk TV podcast show. DJ Mellow Mike hype with my guest, Mister Excitement, the one and only. And we're getting back to the question I was asking you. What was it that sparked your interest in music media? It's always been a hard question to answer. Yeah. Because I was into so much. Music wasn't on the radar, but we all love music because we grew up listening to radio. My mom having, you know, a whole lot of records. My grandfather. You know, I guess, you know, you don't think about it back then. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And that's that's what I, you know, aspired to do. Uh, Bowling, all those different things. I mean, when I grew up in Rochdale Village, we talked about that in the past. So you grew up in Rochdale Village, which is in Queens, New York. Jamaica, Queens. Jamaica, Queens, New York, man. And um, that's kind of where it all started for me. Uh Um, It was a village of of great people. It's like the community I live in, Co-op City. Uh Uh-huh. It's okay. the same thing. Rochdale was built in 1964, finished in 65, 66. I was born in 65. 
Co-op City was, uh, they, they finished it in 1969. So as far as the community, everything that you need is in the community. Right. Whether it be music-oriented things and, you know, sports-related, you know, just whatever, you know. And all those things kind of played a role uh, with me. I, You know, my aunt is still, you know, God bless her soul, uh, was a nurse for a long time, but she had connections with uh, WORTV, mm-hmm. um, the children's shows like uh, Romper Room, which I appeared on twice. Right. It was on wow. Romper Room at four years old, and I did it again at five. And I'm also... Uh, Channel 5, which was WNEW-TV back in the days, back in the 70s and the yes, 80s. indeed. And I luckily got on Wonderama, 1976. I won an Apollo, spe- Apollo Racer uh, white bicycle. Wow. And I won the, uh, if you remember Wonderama, I won a, a game called The Snake Cans. So if you got oh, yeah, the, snake, the snake cans, I remember lost, that. Yeah. But they still would give you like a you know like a Milton Bradley game or something like that. Right. But if you got the flower, you won the bicycle. I won the bicycle. So did you get bit by the bug then, or was it something? No, that, you know? no. It's just you, you, it's, it was a showing off thing for me. It's just you know you kind of want to be popular among people that are older than you that maybe don't respect you when you're a kid, but yeah. then when they see you on TV, it's like it's oh, a whole different story. So all those things played a role with me, man. I didn't grow up with any, even though I have two sisters, you mm-hmm. know, and I had an older sister, which I didn't know I had an older sister until I was like 17 years old. Wow. But it was just me. Yeah. So, you know, when it's, you know, you spoil, I was spoiled, man. I was a spoiled brat. My mother did everything she could for me. And I, you know, I kind of like played that into, uh, I kind of was playing. I don't want to say I was playing her, but I, right. you know, I, I got over a lot, man. And I always, I, you know, up to the day she passed away, I, f- I always felt bad. I've apologized a million <laughs> yeah. times. But all those things, man, um, all played a role. It was just trying to find out my whole uh, individuality and figure out what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But the, but the, the bug was baseball. Baseball. Now, that's that's interesting because um, I know you did play uh, for franchise. Right, uh, that, that was softball. softball. Right now, I'm not getting it twisted. I know softball and baseball, but um, honestly, I always thought of you as a basketball player. Once again, this, this is going to be a three, four, five part episode. You're going to go there. <laughs> basketball didn't hit me till I moved to the Bronx in 1978. Even oh. though I tried to play it a little bit, but it wasn't there. Got oh. small hands. Still got small hands. Right. And you know, it was it was a challenge, but baseball hit me because everybody in the community was playing baseball. They was playing basketball too mm-hmm. and football. But for me it was baseball. And um I didn't go to my first major league baseball game in nineteen seventy five. You know, ironically it was Shea Stadium in Queens, uh, where the Yankees were playing there for two years as they remodeled they remodeled in uh Yankee Stadium. The old Yankee Stadium, they kind of tore it down. They had to remodel it. Right. So I saw a Yankee game at Shea Stadium where the Mets played. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just playing ball in Little League was a, was a big thing. I got into Little League probably in 1976. Um, couldn't play for the team I wanted to play for called the Athletics, the A's. Mm-hmm. And a um, big shout to Fred McLean, who was my first manager. But, um, we signed up too late, so I couldn't play, but I would practice with the team. Okay. And kind of like, you know, we'd go to batting cage and I learn how to hit that fastball. It took a while to hit because, you know, you, as a kid, you're scared of getting hit with a baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, kids throwing it really hard. So all those things kind of like, you know, played a role. And then the next year, 
I was able to get on a team called the Warriors, which they, you know, because I had like, you know, we played baseball, even though we, you know, play choose up and play ball. Right. But I even had power then. So it was kind of like there was this manager named Buzz. I don't remember his last name, but he pl- he was a farmhand from New York Mets. He played minor league ball for the New York Mets. Okay. Got a major injury and became a little league uh, baseball coach. And I was playing in Rochdale, just, you know, hitting the ball. And he seen me hitting the ball with a fence and stuff like that. And he came up and he said, you know, would you like to play for the Warriors? And I, I heard of the Warriors. It was really, really good mm-hmm. at that time. And, um, and I said, I'll think about it because I was going to play with the A's. But the A's didn't come back that year. Um, Fred McLean went on and do other things, and another guy that was assistant coach got with Buzz, and they that was the Warriors. So they they put me on the Warriors and my friend Colin, and we went to the playoffs, and we had a really good year. And that was my first year in organized baseball, which is 1977. Wow! After that year was over, went to a league called Laurelton Little League, which is probably the, the biggest league in Queens. Mm-hmm. For people of our color, people right. of color, right? No white people played in that league. Okay. They played up in Long Island, okay. played in, in Laurelton, Queens, which was rough. It was right. like playing in the Bronx, New York. It was, right. it was rough. The only the, the first time I ever heard of Laurelton, Queens was uh, I think in an LL record or some shit. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's ironic about that was um, the experience I had the year before, and um, I got a team. We wasn't that good. We was eight and eight. We didn't make the playoffs, but I had I had such a wonderful season. That I made the All Star team, mm-hmm. and we went to the Williamsport tournament, which is in Pennsylvania, which you know comes on the Little League World Series. You hear about every year. Mm-hmm. We almost made it, but we 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 had a hell of a, a hell of a season, and we got bumped. Right, but we was in all the newspapers, so we was in the Daily News, we was in New York Post, uh, the Long Island Press. Which doesn't exist anymore out in Long Island. Okay. And so we was on the front cover, and all of us was on there. I wish I can get that paper now. But how old you? How old you? I was twelve, going on thirteen. Matter of fact, I had turned thirteen August 29th, nineteen seventy-eight. We had just started the tournament. Mm-hmm. So if we would have kept going, I wouldn't be able to go to school. I'd have been staying in Queens at my grandfather's house because we'd already moved to the Bronx that uh, summer. But I stayed in Queens to play ball and go to day camp and stuff like that. So it's a long story, but right. What I was trying to say was. I knew that if I had an opportunity, because everything with me about was about opportunity. I mm. said, I can make the pros if I get the opportunity. Mm. And that's all you need in life. If you get an opportunity, it's what you do with the opportunity. And your preparation for the opportunity. Absolutely. So yeah. you have to kind of create your own opportunity as well. You uh-huh. see when things come up, it's like you have to have confidence in yourself to do it. And if you don't, you got to kind of acquire the confidence and figure out how do I get to this point? And get better because you're going to make mistakes. And you're always going to make mistakes in life, but yeah. the more you put into it, if you're really good, yeah. you'll be noticed. And a lot of that's what happened with me. So there was a uh, so you were ath- you were an athlete, natural athlete, and ran track. Yeah, ran in one track meet, uh-huh. one track meet in Queens College. It was like we worked out all winter long in the Rochdale Auditorium and, you know, stayed in shape and stuff like that, getting ready for baseball season. Uh-huh. And my friend Ron Lemon, who was a track coach, said, I want you to run track. I'm like, ah. <laughs> but I did it. Uh-huh. And I ran a one tournament. I ran a third leg of a four by four relay. And we came in first place. And the guys I ran with was from Rochdale. It was from like nearby. Uh-huh. It was really good. Called the RVRO Sprinters. Um, this is Rochdale Village Organization Sprinters. Okay. And um, I, I, I only remember was I got the baton. I never looked back. I was just running. And I saw everybody like, you know, 
like your know, chairing. <laughs> yeah. And um and I, I still got the gold medal, man. It was a uh, police athletic league uh, Miller Lite uh, gold medal. So that was the only track meet I ran. So I, I'm, I'm happy to say I ran track for one year, ran in one track meet, and got a gold medal. All right. So we got baseball, basketball. Basketball, not yet. Bowling. Bowling? Bowling. I started bowling in 76, and then we started bowling in the league in 1977. Oh, uh, okay. And um, the 1978 year, I won my first trophy in bowling, which was the high series. So, so when you play three games, they add up the games, and if you have the, high, the highest uh, total <clears throat> score, uh-huh. you win something called a high series. So out of like a 12 year olds, 11 and 12 years old, I won a high series award. So I got a patch for that and my first trophy. And after that, we moved, once again, we moved to the Bronx and, and everything else kind of like was falling into play. Kept continue bowling, continue getting better. Baseball would only play because I would go back to Queens in the summer and pick off where I left off. Pick right. up where I left off, rather, right. and, and go out there and, and you know just just ball, man. And you know when you when you when you were b- before twelve years old, you can't steal the base. Go from first to second, you can't steal. Uh-huh. But when you get to the pony leagues, which is the thirteen and up, uh-huh. you can take leads and steal. Oh, I was stealing like crazy. You think Ricky <laughs> Henderson was fast? Right? Wow, I was, I, yo, it, it was just another game. I really thought I was going to make the pros, and I kept. That was kind of what the aspiration was to get there. It wasn't a lot of opportunities in the Bronx, though. Right. That's why a lot of people in the Bronx didn't make it to the pros. It was really lucky. Some of the Dominican um, players did. They played in Dominican leagues or, you know, some of the Latin leagues uh-huh. in the um, South Bronx. But it was tough. But I think the real talent um, in, in baseball as far as New York City was Brooklyn and Queens. And where I was from was from Queens. Queens. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to be a pro baseball player at first. Right, yeah, that was your first aspiration, and then um, you didn't get to play basketball until you moved to the to the Bronx, and that was you were how old? I just turned thirteen. Thirteen. So I was fiddling with it, mm-hmm. but when I got to the Bronx, everybody was playing football mm-hmm. and basketball. So before we get to that part, your transition from the Queens to the Bronx was a rough one. Let's talk about that Bro. a little bit. I, I never got along with my stepfather. Right. Um, I was you talk about unhappy and and you know everything that goes along with it. Um, him and my mom had dated for years since I was probably three or four years old, and right. you know just didn't pick up on. Uh, you know, like, he's one of them guys where he wanted mom but didn't want the responsibilities of of, dealing, of a child, those you know, different type of things. So yeah. a lot of that bugged me, but I wasn't feeling him either. So it didn't matter. But when they got married, and I had to move in with this dude. Right. It was like. Wow. Because, you know, growing up in Queens and, you know, you from Harlem. Right. It's an adjustment period because I grew up in a place where I live at now, mm-hmm. you know, Rochdale Village, you know, and where everything, all the amenities there for you're not paying gas and electric. You got central air, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, it's, it was everything is game. everything's there. You don't got to travel. Like, you know, everything's in your community, you know, everything. So. All those things like the Bronx, man, like, bro, walking from Laconia, four blocks to White Plains Road, you can get murdered, stabbed, shot, your neck broke, all that, Yo. and then some. For it real, was, for it, real. It was, you know, the projects right across the street from right. me, man. I was like, right. yo. But some of my good friends, like Rich right. and a few others, Pick up like, Richie, Rich Griff. yeah, man, it was like, um, you know, mm-hmm. they made it a lot easier for me. They made the transition easy for me. 
Gotcha. But it was still tough, man. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I remember you telling me about that uh, that transition, and um, and thinking about my transition from Harlem to the Bronx wasn't as uh as big as yours, um, because yeah, I didn't live in like you know Roxdale or uh, Edenwall, but I lived in a tenement building over in you know in Harlem, uh, Broadway, which is really Sugar Hill. And you know what I'm saying? It was going down. I, and, and a whole lot of shit was going down. Uh, so, God. Uh, yeah, it was. When, it when was. I came to the Bronx, actually, it's no funny thing for me. Coming to the Bronx was like coming to the suburbs. <laughs> because, I mean, I didn't move into the project. I moved into a house. Right. You're looking in houses and things like that. And, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, when I got to the Bronx, I'm like, this is a house? <laughs> I mean, I've had family in houses in Long Island. Right, and I'm right, like, right. This, this is a is house? house? <laughs> you call this a house? What? Look at the view. You can't. Yo. It was crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you, you know, it's. No, but big up to the boogie down here because oh, it no. made us what we are. Bro, you know what I'm hip hop. Don't stop. <laughs> All right. But hip hop was going on in Queens too in the beginning too, right, man. Like right. you know, Cash was DJing and you know, it had the twelve inch turn. So well, let's touch on that for a, a quick yeah, second. Yeah. And during the time that you were doing all the sports and everything, of course there was music. So the music that you was listening to at that time before you came to the Bronx, what was that? You was, your mom's collection and things like that. And you you sure you want me to tell you the truth? Because I you yeah. know you, you see the concerts I go to, right? Yeah, uh, well let's talk about that real so, quick. Okay. Um I don't know when I got an AM radio, but you know, it was no FM at the time. Obviously we talking probably 1970. I was like five, six. And really we had the one TV. So whatever my mother watched, I watched. Mm -hmm. So Sunday nights before I had to go to bed, it was Ed Sullivan show. Okay. And I remember seeing Melba Moore in there. Really good friends with Melba Moore. And now always a fan. Right. You know, and eventually 1971 Soul Train, but I wasn't really into that mm. because I was cartoons, man. Fat Albert, you know, right. Great Bait, you know, Bugs Bunny, <laughs> Mike Talk. Yeah, word you up. You know, Saturday mornings was Shazam. Was, that, you know? was, that was church. Shazam ISIS <laughs> hour. Like, you know, uh, yo, Star Trek, bro, all of that. Man, Lost Saucer, yeah. you know, Wonder Bug and all that stuff. Speed Captain Bug. K, all, all, all that, man. It was, you know, but it started off with Tom and Jerry in the mornings, but. Right. And then Sesame Street and things like that. We tried to get on on Sesame Street as well. We also tried Schoolhouse to get on Rock. Yeah, yeah, uh, that helped a lot, man. Yeah. It helped me in school big time. You kidding me? Yeah. Just remembering the songs and the three times table, you know? Yeah, that's that's stuck like, in you your know, head. Three, six, bro. nine. Yeah. Twelve, fifteen, eighteen. Uh, Twenty-one, it, twenty-four, twenty-seven, hey, thirty. Like I remember all that, man. Yeah, no you doubt. Know? And it helped. It really helped me in school. But but the the music bug was. Literally that radio. Uh -huh. So I'm turn I got AM radio on. So Which I'm I grew up on too. I'm listening to the Delphonics. I'm listening to the Jackson Five. But uh -huh. even before that, Elton John. Right. Um Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mamas and the Papas. Uh Herman's Hermits with Peter Noon. Oh um, God. <laughs> the grassroots. Ah. Anybody who had a hit record back then because a lot of white rock artists right but then pop rock too right pop, like the, the soft rock that stuff was blaring on the radio so i grew up on all that stuff so that's why like my whole thing was not understanding like the soul yet the soul and the r&b because i'm hearing like i said elton john right oh john was rocking say what you want right. rolling stones is rocking the beatles right 
uh, you know, you just got that melody in your head, but it, it still was music. Yeah, man. good music's good music. You know, you know what I'm and saying? that's kind of where the, the vibrational pitch comes in. When you hear good stuff, your heart, you just feel you get like that. That feel like you having a brain aneurysm sometimes when you hear good music. Yeah. And it just comes over you. That and vibration. That, yeah. that thing is real. Yeah. And I was attracted to it. But I used to sometimes spend the night at my cousin's house who lived in Rochdale, who was older than me. Mm. And they was listening to WWRL, which was an AM station as well. But they was playing Black Ivory, mm. Soul Generation, um, like I said, Delphonics. Mm. They was playing some songs that wasn't playing on soft rock, but Delphonics played on the soft rock stations like NBC, WNBC. Right. Because they had a hit song. When you had a hit song, it played on white radio as well. Right. So, you know, just a combination of both. Then I started hearing Earth, Wind, and Fire. I was like, yo. Mm. You're like, you know, you just start. I mean, I'm talking about the early Earth, Wind, and Fire before um, Maurice White's brother, Verdine, because it was a, it was an original lineup. Okay. <clears throat> and Gene Carn, our good friend Gene Carn, was a part of that original lineup yeah, as a Gene background singer. Yeah. So, like, before they blew up, blew up, like 71, 72, 73, yeah. it, they were saying something. And then when they really blew up, they got on Columbia Records and it, the rest was history. So I started hearing our music. And I was like, yo, I like that better, but I like both. If you like music, music it just makes you feel good no matter what it is. It took right. me a while to get into reggae. Uh -huh. It took me a while to get into other stuff. You know, obviously Bob Marley and the Whalers. And right. So many, so, so many musical influences for me. I was just a fan. I literally was just a fan. Yeah. But you don't think about getting involved with something, especially if you don't have the talent. I, I sang a little bit as a kid. You know, mm -hmm. we had the Glee Club and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But nothing that's going to you know put me as a professional or anything like that. Right. And it, let's be honest. Let's bring it all the way from there. Right. To 1981. Okay. Where I met Flex. So this is now you're in the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm, I was in the Boogie Down Bronx since 78. Right. But when it was time to go to high school, that's another story. I was two <laughs> years behind. Never got left back. Right. You but, know, it was just, I, well, I did get left back one time, which was my fault. I was playing hooky like crazy because I was trying was to get rebelling. out of there and go back to Queens, stay with my grandfather. Rebelling, right. Yeah, so, but um, I was two years, because that, that's how I met Flex. So he was my locker partner. Okay. I knew him as George. Aston Taylor. Big up to George Jr. Aston Taylor Jr., aka Funkmaster Flex. Yeah. Well, originally he was DJ George. George. Oh, okay. Then he was DJ Funkmaster. Uh. And then when nine of them was with um when they was doing the um thing with Chuck Chillot and they the, was Deuces Wild, they did a promo and they said Funkmaster with the Flex. And then he jumped on the Funkmaster and did, did the DJ Funkmaster Flex. What's funny, when I when I ran into him, it wasn't even the DJ George. It was actually DJ Junior. Yeah, he probably, yeah, he went with, cause we, they, most people call them Junie. Junie either call them Junior or Junior. Junior. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of that is, you know, that was that connection. But, you know, even people in the area, I'm not going to mention. So you and some, him go back at least three, four decades. We we do we do, but then what what really like sparked the friendship? Because we wasn't really friends in school. I mean, we drove the rode the bus home sometimes, mm -hmm. but it was him coming to the skate key, and I ah. worked in the skate key. But before I was working there, I was working there for free. And I remember I'm like two years older than Flex, almost three. Okay, so. Right, he was so like, "What you doing here?" <laughs> I said, "What you doing here?" He said, I said, "I work here. You know, you, so you paid to come in here, right? I didn't pay to come in here, right?" But after that, we we really became friends because we had skating in common, 
and a whole bunch of other things in common as we found out as as we came became more friends and things like that. So, but it started in skate key rolling rank, skate key, and and obviously high school. And so skate key and high school they coincide. You were what seventeen years old, sixteen, seventeen. No, no. When I got to ninth. <laughs> Two years back, I was I was sixteen. I had just turned sixteen August okay. 29th. So okay. I started ninth grade in sixteen. Okay. All right. So crazy. And you got a job at the skate key. Right. You meet Flex, right? Well, I met him at, in high school. I met in him high school. We, remember, he's, we shared a locker. Right. You so that's what, locker. so that's I knew crazy. who he was before we met. I just knew my locker partner's name was George Taylor. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it's like when I met him, I was like, oh, what's up, man? How you doing, Mike? You know, right. whatever, whatever. So, so that's this is before he even touched the turntables or anything like that. No, he was touching the turntables. I mean, even with me, I was on turntables in 1975. Really? They didn't have two, just had the one. Right. You know, but yeah, he, he had turntables. He already had 12s. Cause I had I never had twelves back then. I had like my mom's record player and another record player, and I had a small Newmark mixer, the real small one. Yeah, yeah. And you know, me and asshole used to you know <laughs> DJ in my basement, you know. And then so his brothers got you know equipment, right, and stuff like that. So you know, I said I DJ too. So he came over in the basement. He was like, "Damn, you ain't even got twelves." Yeah, I can't afford that right now. Right. Maybe some. I never did buy twelves either. Yeah, me. You know? Well, I did uh, actually later, much much later on when I had a job and they're like, "We'll get into that later." All right, so you and Flex locker partners, job at the Skate Key. You meet him, so on and so forth. In your musical knowledge and, and career at this point, now you've graduated from the am radio and uh now you're listening you, you also heard some of our black music on there wbls now, 1975 now. frankie crocker there you go now 1978 uh-huh wktu joe causey ah uh, okay <laughs> that disco thing that's that's yeah. why the, the disco thing always was there my mom had all those disco records right. man casey and the sunshine band uh tavares tavares really yeah. great friends with Thank big shout to all the brothers, all the Tavares brothers. Absolutely. Had all those records, ABC records, you know, Rhythm, Heritage, the theme from SWAT. Oh, yeah. I used to love Four cutting tops, that up. Four yeah. Tops left Motown, went to ABC records and started <laughs> killing it, man. Yeah, yeah. So, all so that, this is yeah. the thing about you that I always noticed that you were very knowledgeable and uh, well-rounded. Like, the reason, one of the reasons that when I when I first started the the Street Funk TV show for the audience that don't know, um, Mr. Excitement is the the anchor man of the Street Funk TV show. Let's say he's the one he's the go to guy when it's time to talk to the A list celebrities, and the reason why is because of your knowledge. Because actually, when when I first made the decision to approach you about it, we were at. The radio station. You remember the radio show you used to have? 105.9. Flip Squad Radio. Flip Squad Radio. Now, when did you start that? When did you start that? Uh, early 1994. And what got me prepared for it was Flex uh, was on Nervous Records and putting out records. So mm -hmm. he wanted to have his own radio show. But before he had time to do it, when we finally met up with Bobby J a few years later mm -hmm. or whatever, long story short, mm -hmm. Um, DJ Reg Reg He used to work at G Street Records But he had a radio show on 105.9 uh -huh. And a bunch of other people also Because it, it, it derived from W What was uh, HBI 
WHBI. But then from HBI, it turned into WNWK. Right. 105.9. Right. So he wanted me to do that show so Reg can play some of his records. You know, Come On Baby and some of the other songs he put out on Nervous. Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to be the co-host, but I had no, no experience with that. Right. So I did about four or five shows, and it was rough. But he kind of coaxed me into it. And I got better right before, because you know, that's the type of station you have to pay to be on. Right. So either you have sponsors, or you paying out of pocket. Absolutely. So when it didn't work for Reg Reg, that was my experience doing radio for the first time. And Flex got on hot. Well, actually, that's not the first experience on radio for me. I, and I always, because people don't talk about this. Chuck Chill Out, when he first got fired from Kiss, which was the main time he got fired from 98.7 Kiss. Right. He went to WBLS 105. You know, 107.5. So he still was on Friday nights. But because he was going through his drug issue situation, unfortunately. Right. He would bring me and Flex in. But Flex bring me and he invited me. But it was Flex. So Flex would DJ right. for an hour. Chuck would DJ for an hour. So that's really what I got. My real bug uh -huh. was in 1990. I used to um, be co-owner of a, um, a clothing store. It was like we sold like LA gear sneakers, um, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patrick Ewing sneakers on Gun Hill Road. Right, right, right. Uh, right. 1216 East Gun Hill Road, right down the block from Nick's Pizzas and Rock. What was the name of this, the, the, the outlet? Uh, M MJR Freshwear. Right, okay. MJR Freshwear. Nice, so, nice. It, so it was, you know, we struggled with that. But so Chuck used to come down and, and we used to give him like free sneakers sometimes, right. you know, and um, and definitely the hats. And he was going to H&Y too. Okay. Over on Gun Hill, White Plains Road and getting free stuff. But he allowed me to come to, to the station. So, I'm looking around and I'm I'm meeting I'm meeting Dr. Bob Lee for the first time. I'm meeting like at the time Lance Hayes was a big radio air personality in 1990, and a whole bunch of people was over there. And I'm just looking around like Bobby Condes was as there on on um, Friday nights as well. Now I'm looking around going, "Yo, like wow, real station radio, <laughs> yeah, you know." So 105 was nothing compared to like BLS, right? Right. So when people think Flex got to start on Hot 97, you got to start on WBLS. Uh, and then later on, after that BLS thing didn't work out, he got on 98.7 Kiss for about two months and they fired him. And they bring on Kid Capri and Dr. Dre and that lover. Wow. And Flesh got the call at the end of 92, like like October 92. And that's when we started Hot Name Sub. It was the second week of uh, November of 1992. And that's where it all started. He bring me in to um, answer the phones. And right. stuff like that. And then later on, everything kind of like went into how it went into. You know, I started getting shout outs and, right. you know, all those different things. So it's a cluster of of memories, but it was a cluster of opportunity. Right. Because the moment I got there, I said, I, I want in. I don't want to just answer phones. Like, right. You know, I mean, it's cool. You're talking to girls and mm -hmm. oh, that was cool, you know, right. but. I'm I'm watching all the all the air personalities. Like I'm watching Baltazar. I'm right. watching uh, Ricky Ricardo. Uh -huh. If you remember Ricky Ricardo, he was the um, the host of Flex's show, which didn't have a name at the time. It wasn't a Friday Night Street Jam. It was just hip hop, whatever, because they they wasn't playing hip hop on that station. It was a it was a strictly freestyle and dance station. Right. And it was playing Cynthia and Judy Torres and K Seven. You know. Yeah. Uh, Noel, Silent Morning. <laughs> you know, it's giving it to you, giving you the business. That was, was hot too. It Don't was. Get me wrong. Yeah, I ain't go front. But when Flesh came in, within a month, 
the ratings were were, were there, man. It, and you know, it, it it turned into what it turned into. Right. And I, I give him a lot of credit. You know, I, I showed him a lot of support. Um, he thought of me to bring me on. And um, once again, the rest is history. And that's always about the opportunity. I always get back to the opportunity. You know, right. when you're not trying to do something and you still get the opportunity and you start staying in your mind, hey, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I just need the opportunity. Well, think, speaking of opportunity, you gave me an opportunity at one time when we were, uh, was doing uh, 105.9, right? Um, you said, yeah, yo, there's another two-hour slot after my show. Which was really, really graveyard, but we was trying to get it, get our name out, and trying to uh, to do this thing. And it was the first time that I ever had an endeavor even to do radio. Um, and I did the Street Funk, t uh, the Street Funk Radio Show, which was simultaneously going on at the same time I was doing the Street Funk TV show, right? So let me back up a little bit to when we met. Do you remember when we met? Yeah, well, you used to hang out with that asshole that lived next door to me, and um, he introduced me to you. He introduced me to you. Okay, um, right. So it's my man Mike, right. you know, and later on, I know you was mellow. Right. So you'd be in the front yard with him, and right. And I say, hey, how you doing, man? What's up? What's yeah, up? Because no I used doubt. to pass you sometimes because I'd be on my way to you know skate here. I went to walk past your house, get right. to that bum ass two train. Two train, yeah. You go know, hard, you know. <laughs> But that was part of it. I remember y'all. I remember when Public Enemy um, came out, and I think y'all used to, you know, used to get y'all used to get drunk Toast. in the front, being in the front. I remember when. Um, Understatement. I remember it was like probably the summertime, and y'all was in the car blasting Public Enemy. Y'all, I just heard y'all like when um how how do um how do my man used to say it? um you go ooh and ah when, when you jump in my car people car. treat me like a ream Abdul Jabbar no matter who you are. Yo, the the like, I was like, yeah, that yeah. dude is hip hop for real. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I mean? Like y'all, yeah. y'all had a lot. You know, you you had a lot of talent back then. I, I just oh, knew it. You, I just knew it. I didn't know you was DJing, right? But I, I knew like vocally, you, you was you was, you was saying something for real. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So um, we met, and I know we can't we we ne we didn't like catch up or click. Until we ran into each other again because we had Flex as a mutual friend. Right. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's when we kind of coagulated together and, 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 and put together what became the Street Funk TV show. Um, so you're in the Bronx. You met Flex. You're getting exposed to this radio thing. Uh, in the interim, in the interim, you've internalized all of this media that you've, you know, you were a TV buff. You watched the cartoons. You you you're listening to the AM radio with all of the the legendary groups. Um, and uh, I catch up to you at uh, WNWK Radio, um, and this is after someone put a bug in my ear because I was um, catching up to you and Flex and I was going to the parties and I was, we, I'm mean, like, let's be, be honest, we were running into A-list celebrities. You know what I'm saying? On the hip hop side and also in movies and, and, and film and television. Sports athletes. Sports athletes. From Major League Baseball to NBA basketball right. to NFL football. Um, a whole bunch of people we ran into. Right. And what bugged me out 
was that you would spot them before me. I've always had that talent. I don't know what it is either. My grandmother lived in, in Harlem and we used to go and, you know, I would see people that I would see on TV walking down Lenox Avenue. Right. Um, this is in the seventies as I was a kid. Yeah. Um, when I stayed with my grandfather, he watched a lot of, uh, you know, the news all the time. And, um, if you remember the late great Bill McCrary, okay. know, yeah. Channel 5 News, he used to sponsor um, the Laurelton Little League baseball team. So he would be out there watching the games and things. And we know him from TV would say hello and those type of things. But my whole my whole interviewing style, because I watched a lot of talk shows, like you may not remember a lot of these people, but there was a guy that had a popular TV show in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s named David Suskind. I remember. So he always came on Sunday nights. My mom watched that. So I was, you know, one TV. I was forced to watch what she watched. So we watched a lot of David Susskind, uh, Dick Cavett, Dick who was Cavett. a comedian, right? That they gave a talk show uh-huh. to, and he not only just interviewed, um, you know, like uh, people that was in politics and mm-hmm. actors, but you know, obviously singers. Mm-hmm. You know, Ray Charles. You know, right? Uh, Stevie Wonder. Right. You know, Melba Moore. Once right. again, Melba Moore has always been. A part of my life, not realizing that I would know and, and meet her and, and become friends become later on. Good friends and things like that. So, all those different things, you know, like people would think Don Cornelius. I, I didn't really, wasn't really messing with Soul Train until around 78 because mm-hmm. I was watching cartoons, but I did catch American Bandstand. Wow. Because the cartoons was finishing off. Right. Was, Dick, you know, Dick Clark was coming on like 12 30 every Saturday afternoon, ABC. ABC you know? always had the dope cartoons. Yeah, so you know, Flip Wilson, you know, had had a lot of music artists on his show. You know, everybody that had talk shows, Carol Burnett, mm-hmm. those shows that we watched, maybe not everybody watched those, but yeah. I didn't watch them just for comedy. You would see your favorite musicians on there. Jackson Five was on there all the time, and right? So many other shows. This is too much to you know to to mention, but the legends, man. All these different things are things that shaped me into. Uh, Knowing that if I if I even if I didn't meet a person but knew who I am, who knew who they are, mm. I know exactly what to ask. That's why a lot of people I would I would uh like before I would interview somebody, it was like, oh, you don't know, you don't yeah, know. Exactly. And I was like, nah, I, like Jeff Fred. Remember, yeah, I remember, with Jeff Fred? Yeah, I remember, yeah. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? But yeah. th- you know, sometimes you don't know what to expect when you don't know somebody, but then when you get into the interview mm-hmm. and they feel comfortable with you because the knowledge that you have of that person makes for a better interview yeah it's not like you're just going um, on script and you get to ask certain questions if it's things you know mm-hmm. you bring it up you know it's just you know the interaction yeah. is just- i see i see the, the look in a lot of people's face when you interview them and you say something about their career and they didn't expect and they'd be like you know this dude is actually on the on the money right now and, and, and he's and then they get in their feelings and they start talking about, yeah, well, you know, if they do this, that, and do it and trade this guy, and that, and that, you know what I'm saying? You know, so yeah, it was very knowledgeable and, and, um, you know, and you knew the people before I knew them. And, and I was like, yeah, this dude. And, and also, I got to give you credit for this. Not everybody could be in a high profile party and actually get these high profile celebrities. And interview them and, and and actually captivate their interest in this type of situation with all the music going and all the people around and the lights on and you know what i'm saying and you went from doing radio a controlled environment to this chaos what how did you handle that it was difficult and the main thing was the questions that you're asking you need to the person that you're interviewing to, to know what you're saying because 
you could barely hear, especially in the Palladium the tunnel, it was really difficult unless you got him in a spot where it wasn't as much noise. But the tunnel was hard. Right. But what got better with the tunnel is when we was able to go backstage uh-huh. and do interviews there was more controlled atmosphere. You don't hear the music too much once you close the door. Right. You know, like when I interviewed Dr. Dre and Snoop and them uh, backstage, it was easy because you didn't have to be screaming over the music. Right. But you you kind of kind of see like toward the end of that run with Street Funk and then other things came about, obviously, you know, uh, I can just be myself. You know, I didn't have to always be with the slang and, and all that because that, that was all like a a manufacture of trying to be cool, trying to be down, not yeah. mean, and all that stuff. Well, now that you mention it, we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump around the timeline. But now that you mentioned the Dr. Dre and stuff like that, I picked uh, a few clips that um, in random because you're you're pretty much in most clips because you were the main host of the show. Um and uh, no disrespect to anybody else that did the show, but my thing was I was trying to do this for real. We was trying to always take this to network TV. Absolutely, them dudes wasn't they wasn't gonna make that that wasn't gonna take that 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 run to to network TV. Well, we'll get into that. In no, second. no. I, before we do that, yeah. I, I gotta say this. Okay, because even they knew uh-huh. I'm better than you, and you know it. <laughs> they knew it. That was my motto. Yeah, you would say it. You would say and it. And if you ain't bringing nothing besides just jumping in front of a camera, it ain't for you. I knew they wasn't going to make it, man. It's, and, and we got love for them for you know for other reasons, right? But where I was trying to go, it wasn't going to work. I and um, on that note, let's let's take a look at this real this clip real quick. This is uh you backstage at the, at the tunnel. I believe this is the night that uh. You interview Dr. Dre. You can get some. Um... Ready, Patty? All right, word up. One, two. Uh, get the plug, get the phones in. All right. Ready? All right, word up, Mr. Excitement. You know what time it is. I'm real calm tonight. You know what I'm saying? Because it's been a long day for myself. But coming up next, right here on Street Punk TV. It's some real hot performance that we've never got on Street Punk before. It's a pleasure to have these people on. And um, I'm just going to give you a little, little hint of who's going to be here tonight. Chronic 2001. All right. It's the name of the album. One of the albums. Big up No Limit Priority. Big up Interscope Records. Big up my man Eminem. Coming up next on Street Funk TV, if you don't mind me saying, my man Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Coming up next from the tunnel. It's going to be bananas. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. All right? Take my word for it. For life, Street Funk. Stay where you at, B. It's going to be on for real. What the hell is popping field? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, you know. Um, that was a wonderful opportunity. I was always a fan of Dre, and you know, looking back, his songs were playing on Hot Name Seven at the beginning of when they switched to hip hop. Right. I mean, you know, the West Coast was banging. I, I came in front. It, the more I heard "Let Me Ride" by by Dre, mm-hmm. I, that was one of my favorite Dre records, man. But but you know, it had the sample, you know, the um, uh, George Clinton and all them sample right. and all that stuff. So uh, I was feeling I was feeling Domino, you know, obviously Pac. 
um, and and like to know in the night before, you mm-hmm. know, Dre and, and Eminem appeared on Saturday Night Live. Right. Okay. And you know, he had mentioned he don't like to do interviews a lot. You know, um, maybe because of, of former experiences and former hosts and things like that of other shows. But right. I made him feel comfortable. I told him from the get go, anything you don't want to talk about, let's not talk about it. But you know, I'm gonna bring up some things and let's get into it. It was one of my better interviews, and you know, for me. I always felt just good being comfortable in my skin. Now I look back and, you know, even the early years of Street Funk at the beginning, I was rough. You know, I was rough. And we all were rough. We, we, we were. But, but see, I always had the other, like, like how I am now. And when we had an opportunity to do FRP TV, mm-hmm. I was better than I ever was before because I can just be myself. Right. I can just be Michael. Well, I mean, like that clip, not to contradict what you're saying, but that clip right there wasn't a whole lot of norm sayings and all of that stuff. It was actually pretty much straightforward. I, you know what I'm saying? So, because a lot of times when I look back at a lot of this stuff, cringe. It's, some of it is cringe, but a lot of it is a lot better than I thought it was. It's, let's go into this clip, the Dr. Dre interview, and you tell me how you felt when after that. That shit, we just gonna play it. Yeah, we just do it just like that. All right. All right. Street Funk TV, Mr. Excitement, my man, Dr. Dre, holding it down. What's going on, big guy? Chilling, man. Out here loving NY. Yeah. I caught you on saying live last night. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we was up there trying to do our thing. You know, as good as we can get on TV, you know. I don't really like doing TV, but, you know, that's gonna help the record, so I'm in it. And they be looking out up there, so it's cool. You got a brand new album out right now, Chronic 2001, right? Yeah, it's coming out. Chronic okay. 2001. It'll be out November 16th, and it's blazing. It's, it's, it's hot, man. I'm just, I'm really satisfied with it right now. I heard like it was supposed to be like originally just Chronic 2000, and I think. Yeah, it was originally supposed it. to be Chronic 2000, but um, Death Row came out with their their album before mine, and they used the same title. So you know, I decided to change mine up and do it like that you know and i mean for me what's on the outside of the cover don't even really matter that much to me you know what matters to me is what's coming out those speakers okay there you go exactly you make some real good music at that i appreciate it i I know a million people probably have asked you this question about death row and everything that went on over there did you from when you first started death row did you feel that everything would that went on, would go on. I'm not even talking about just the positive, because there's a lot of positive music right. that came out of that whole Death Row experience, but just the way everything ended over there. Um, I mean, when we started it, it was just like a big family thing, you know what I'm saying? It's unfortunate that things turned out the way they did, but you know, I, you know, nobody knows what the future holds. Exactly. And I'm just trying to move on with my life, keep it positive, and make a positive future for myself, straight up. Yo, you, now, you the person that actually discovered Eve, right? Um, it was actually a friend of mine. A friend of mine named Mike. He went out to Philly and um, he called me and let me hear over the phone. I was like, get her out here. Right. You know? And um, the problem was she was ready to do her album right then. And I'm, in, I'm not into holding people back or whatever because if I had held her back to be on my label, she would just now be starting on her album. You okay, know what I'm saying? So we worked something out. And um, she went to the Rough Riders, and her record is out. She's working on her second record right now, and, you know, much love to her. She's killing them right now. Yeah, she's doing her thing, you know. I'm And I'm reading all these articles and things about, you know, how, how we're not getting along and things like that. And, you know, this is all not true, you know. She came out to L.A. just recently, and we went out to dinner and kicking it. We, we close like that, man. Right. So, you know, don't believe the hype. 
that's usually in that's the unfortunate part of being like in the media. You got some people that's in the media that usually starts and tries to start rumors, things that are like totally false, totally not true. And that stuff happens like in sports, you know, everything everything in life. They ain't, ain't they got anything to do with the media. Usually screws that part of it up, but I'm yeah. glad everything's cool with that. Yeah, I got caught up in the rap tabloids for a minute, you yeah, know, yeah, but it's yeah. all good. I'm here to set the record straight. I ain't about none of that nonsense, man. Straight up. You still keep in contact with some of the NWA cast, some guys that you recorded Yeah, with? you know what? It's funny you bring that up because I just talked to Cube and Ren, and um, we're going to start on a new NWA project next year. We're I was wondering if those could get back to that. Yeah, we're going to try to release Christmas 2000. You know, um, it's going to be me, Cube, Ren, and Snoop. You know, and we're gonna call the album Not These Niggas Again. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's gonna be something to look forward to. I always wanted to tell you, I said, if I ever meet you, I said, my favorite Dre record was Let Me Ride. That pumped real hard here in New York, man, when that was out. That was a hot record. That's crazy, man. Hot 97. Word. <laughs> that's crazy, because I didn't think that was gonna move out here, because I was thinking about doing that on stage, but I didn't think it was gonna move it because it's such a mellow song, you know? Right. And I know New York loves that energetic type shit, you right, know? Right. Oh, is this a family show? No, it's all good. It's all good. Right. The video was hot on that, too, by the way. Oh, I appreciate it. The video it. was hot. Yeah. So, so, yeah. There's a plenty more where that came from, but tell me. You sitting there backstage at the tunnel with the major star, Dr. Dre, from NWA, producer extraordinaire. What was that like? You know, sometimes it's hard to put in the words, but what I can say is we knew who was going to be there, mm -hmm. you know, because we, we, you know, flex booked them to be there. So when you know who's going to be there, you have time to prepare. So it wasn't like... He was just in there and we didn't know he was going to be there and you just go up top of the head. So I already, you know, kind of knew what I was going to ask. Mm -hmm. um, one of my better interviews, but, you know, we had people like Aaliyah, you know, Missy Elliott, Mary yeah. J. Blige. And we tried to get Mary on a bunch of times early on and it just never really worked until she came to Tunnel. Yeah. So Tunnel, we had a lot of access to to do a lot of those different things. That but was home base for us, it, basically. It, it, it was, but... It, even though we was in there in 94, it really worked out for us after 98. Like from 98, 99, 2000, mm -hmm. toward the end of the run, Yeah, it was easy peasy. Because that's what we asked to do. I would get there so early, we'd just take the equipment and just go stay backstage the whole night. Right. And we didn't have to see Flex in, in the crowd no more. We right. just had to get the interview, tape the show. Get, the, get hell, the hell on out. Because we had to go to work in the morning. Yes, indeed. You know, so <laughs> I knew all, that very well. All that was a major deal. So we was I was prepared for Dre. I was and I didn't know Nate Dogg was gonna be there. Right. Nate, Nate, Nate Dogg and Jonathan Singleton was there. Right. So you go up the top of the head. He was just, you know, talking about he's just putting a new Shaft movie out. Right. And I was like, yo, who's gonna play Shaft? <laughs> I said, Sam I said, Sam Jackson's gonna play Shaft. You know, then he thought I said something about when can I be in the movie. He said, no, you're going to be in the next movie. I never asked him that, uh, but he okay. probably assumed that I said that. But right. I was like, no, nah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but. But the, the thing, you know, in hindsight, looking back, watching you do these interviews, the, the calmness, the control, the questions, you know, just the, 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 the interaction with the celebrities is just so natural that, you know what I'm saying? It's like. That's why I, it just sparked, you know, an idea in my mind. I was like, this is the guy. I want to be the best I can be. I still continue <laughs> to strive for that. And if you're at your best and you know you're good at something, yeah. the only way to 
to do it is to, is, is to do what you know you can do. And, mm. and that's, that's all it is. It's not anything hard. When we first started, it, it was it was difficult because, you know, when you're talking to hip hop artists, you mm. know, everybody's from the hood. We are from the streets, you know, but you don't have to always necessarily sound like that. That's why I would cringe sometimes when I would see like Wu-Tang and a lot of the other artists going MTV where you have white hosts mm -hmm. who are not from where we're from asking straight college questions like same thing dick clark and him is going to do when you come on his show back in the days like if you go back and watch american bandstand you see how polished the sugar hill gang was during their interview mm -hmm. and how polished ll cool j was he was still hard and curtis blow they were great you go back and watch that first cool, cool more deep you watch them they was great because they had education it wasn't like you know you know, now everybody went to college, but it's right. just the fact that as a professional, you got to come across as a professional no matter what you do because you don't want to look back and feel embarrassed when you got kids and your kids are watching you right. when you're 18, 19, when you don't really know any better. But it's just, I think that's the major thing. And I think that's what Don Cornelius had so much issues with mm. because he came from the R&B soul era. And then when it Soul Train transitioned to hip hop, you can see him sometimes like asking questions and the answers he was getting back was What's going on <laughs> after a while he didn't want to do it no more right. and, and he, he retired and he had other people younger people come on and host the show right. toward the end so it's not always easy you know but you know it's one of them things where like i went to private school my whole life man okay i don't know if that makes a difference but you know i grew up my family talking proper english Okay. You know, so when you when you say something like out of pocket, you know, you talking slang. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't talk like that in the house. You had to be who you were. Uh, it wasn't to the Bronx. So I got to the Bronx, man. It was just I just didn't. Just, hey, I, mean, I didn't like, give a fuck no more. I'm like, I'm yo. just saying, but with the influences that you have when you're talking with your homies on the on the street and all of that, you pick up the vernacular, you know, naturally because you know you once you get an understanding for what they mean and what they're talking about. Is how they how you communicate, you know what I mean. And also, let's not get it twisted. When we were in school, anybody who was talking proper English was sounding like corny. We used to call them corny, a duck. We used to call them like a nerd or whatever, geek or whatever you want to call them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, dude, we, you know, what I'm saying? you sound you sound real corny right now. We turned it on and turned it off. Or when we you school, had to once you turned it on. Once you get a job, you you know what I'm saying you had the yes sir, you know. All when you around your grandmother, your grandfather, yeah. you know, your older you to, parents yeah. and stuff, Clean you it had, up. Yeah, yeah, you had to, man, you had yeah. to. And I was able to turn it on, and turn it off, right, at the drop of a hat, right. You know, when there was a time to talk like that, I did. Yeah, but I have to make the comment, like even when you introducing in, in interviewing Dre right there. Wasn't a whole lot of known sayings yeah, going I, on. Yeah, I kept, and, but you know, you know, I remember too. I, I incorporated like how Cosell. I, right. Like all these people that I watched on TV that did interviews, depending on who I talked to, right. I changed it up. And um, you know, big shot to Ralph McDaniel's. You know, um, yeah, big with, up with, Uncle Ralph and, and other people because it was other Ralph McDaniel's in different cities that had shows like him. Right. But you know, I want to be just as good or even better. To a certain degree, because would you agree that Ralph was a big influence on Street Funk TV in reference? Hell to, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, but see, I always thought mainstream TV. Right. I always thought that. Man. Right. You know, uh, you know, like the public access thing was cool because right. we got love in the Bronx. I mean, I boy, it did it. You know, yeah. you know, just the you know people knowing who you are. 
People's already hating anyway. Now you on TV. It's one thing you're on the radio. Now you're on TV. Then you want it all five boroughs. It's like, yeah, yo. Well, let's talk about the competition in the Bronx because there was a couple of shows that we was up against who really couldn't compete with us because we were kind of ahead of our time. Not to pat myself on the back, but big up to Dean Romano for his incredible editing. And the content that we had, He it wasn't like he had bullshit to edit. You know what I'm saying? So the show was pretty much a heavyweight in reference to having the, the celebrities, having the, you know, the, the, the premier DJs and being at the hottest parties and so on. And then Dean cutting it up the way it was. You know what I mean? So I remember one time I was over at Bronx then because that's the first uh, television station that we broadcast. No, I'm sorry. The second. Yeah, Eminem. Right, because Eminem in Manhattan. Because the show premiered in January of 95. Yes. And on Eminem uh, in Manhattan. And um, from there, I got the big brain to go to the Bronx, become an access producer, and get the show on in the Bronx. And from there, the dominoes fell. So I'm in BronxNet. And I run into this uh, rival show, okay, called, uh, what was the name of the show? Entertainment Vibes. Entertainment Vibes. And the host of the show was named... Sex Boogie. Okay, and... This guy walks up on me. He says to me, what's up with your man? I'm like, what do you mean? He says, your man seems like he's on, he's on TV. He's talking a little rough, a little crazy. He's talking like, you know what I'm saying? And what was it exactly? Because to be honest, to be called Mr. Excitement, right? Which you did really, you owned that name. Because when you came on, you had this WW. You know what I'm WWF and WWE type of WCW. <laughs> you know I incorporated <laughs> professional wrestling with yeah, the interviews. Right. But but I'm also when you introduced the show and you let people know who we were and you used to call out names. <laughs> well, see, what a lot of people don't understand, I watched a lot of these shows uh-huh. to, to see what our competition was. Right. And there was no competition. That's no disrespect. Right. They didn't have the editing that we had. The right. editing was ridiculous, you know. And yeah. you know, the editing wasn't being done at Eminem. It wasn't being done in BronxNet. Right. BronxNet's way better now. Right. But back then, it was primitive. Everything's high eight and those different things, beta tapes. Dean worked in a in a studio where they they produced TV shows like Maury Povich. So right. you know, the editing in there was Chris. They was on like probably five hundred thousand dollar equipment in there. So right. A lot of that in his editing style made our primitive VHS tapes look like, yeah, you know, we was we was somebody, right? And a lot of that played a role. So, Sex Boogie uh, at the time they did something in the Apollo, which we had did something in the Apollo maybe a year or two earlier, mm-hmm. and he came on his show and was like, "Yeah, I mean, we the first underground show to be in the Apollo videotape." I'm like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> you know, he apparently know who the fuck we are. So, I called him out, right? Because you know, I don't, you know, I, I. I love competition. Big up sex boogie. Yeah, yeah, we it's know. We love. always been. We've been cool ever since then. <laughs> right, right, right. We've been cool. I explained to him what it was, and right, he had right. to learn. He had to learn. Like, you got to figure out who else is your competition. Who's been on before you? Like, there were shows that was on before us. Right. That was trash. Yeah. From the Bronx. Yeah. Um, Ghettonomics. Yeah. And we knew them from around the way. Right. They were straight trash. They, <laughs> no, they was big, trash. But big up the Ghettonomics. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, my thing was. I didn't want to be underground. 
I want to be MTV. I want to be BT. I want to be Channel Seven, Channel Absolutely. Four, Channel Two. I want it to be mainstream. I'm on a mainstream radio station, the Hot Name Seven, and I'm thinking the yeah. penthouse. I'm not thinking the fucking basement. Well, well that was At the, the idea because me, you, and Dean sat down and actually ex- expressed this. Like we want to be the next, uh, uh, I guess, video music box, but on Fox Five or in um, channel in channel nine or eleven or, or you know what I'm saying. We wanted to be on national television. You know what I'm saying? Take it to the next level because everything that was on national television sucked too. Well, uh, we we all know now because they didn't want to show real hip hop. They didn't want to, um, you know, they they didn't want to put that out there. They just didn't want to do it, and they they couldn't get the sponsorship dollars. I mean, they tried. I mean, big shot to Michael Holman, mm-hmm. you know, who had the um, oh man, what was the show that he did uh. Oh man, I, was, I don't forgot the name of the show, but the New York City Breakups was on there. Run DMC, okay. you know, uh, a lot of people was on there. Um, I think they only did like maybe uh, ten or twelve episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, graffiti uh, rock, graffiti rock, graffiti okay. rock. Gotcha. And um, wow. it was dope. Yeah, you know what I mean. And Michael Holman, I think Michael Holman's white. Actually, he and, looks like and, black, graffiti rock looked a lot like Soul Train in the set set design. Yeah, but they was playing. The hip hop and, and what yeah. was happening, they was, was playing what was happening from that period. We're talking like 1983, yeah. 84. Yeah. What was happening there, Run DMC, you know, yeah. you know uh, everything that you Treacherous heard. Treacherous 3. Yeah, yeah, they was on there too. Yeah. They, they appeared on there. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's what it was, man. And, you know, when I was working the skate key at that particular time, all this era, I'm, I'm like in the middle of it from a roller skating standpoint. Right. And I remember on Friday nights, uh, you had to take your skates off at 10 and it was a dance session. So the New York City Breakers used to come through, Rocksteady used to come through and battle for real. And they was killing the floor. Yeah. Everybody's watching them instead of dancing themselves. They watching them do their thing. They took over in there. Yeah. And, you know, Force and D's was coming through, nice. um, you know, Pumpkin, All Stars, Great, Great Pumpkin. Bunch yeah. people came through. I remember um, Columbus Circle. They I forgot the song that they had. Uh, they had a big song. And they had the instruments in there, and it was lip syncing. That's the first time I kind of figured out lip syncing in a way. I was like, "Wait a minute! <laughs> they they don't even got the DM equipment plugged into the um into right. the socket." And they, I was like, "Oh, uh. it's some bullshit." <laughs> I was like, "Now nah, I get it." You know, I, yeah. I you know, so you know, but yeah, no. Back to sex book. I, I just you know all these different things, man. Was like. Well, it was I, just really competitive. I was like, you you had a competitive edge in that that WWE type of uh, yeah yeah. But but when you have a lot of things inside of you, was trying to get it out. And right. The camera got it out. Yes, it did. And I didn't care. Yeah. Because you wasn't better than me. Right. Nobody was better than me. Right. But I'm not saying anybody wasn't. But in my mind, right. You had to have that attitude. You know. Peace to the family. This here is Shaniqua Charles in the Boogie Down Bronx. We are here with Street Funk TV. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you stay tuned. And make sure you spread the word and the love. Street Funk TV in full effect. Peace to the family.